You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning or good afternoon, wherever the case may be to all of you. You are here for the next 30 minutes with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's only live call-in radio show, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And I want to wish all you mothers out there a very happy Mother's Day. And I hope you're enjoying some nice weather. I know that Mark, our wonderful producer out in Florida, is having a great day. We're having a great day here in Southern California. And hopefully that uh, if you are anywhere in between in the Midwest or the Northeast, you are also having a great day. So um, we talked last week, you know, we kind of took a little departure from our normal, you know, kind of medical lessons and information and talked about my uh, amazing trip to Peru and kind of the work I did over there, which was great. It was just amazing. I, I'm leaving actually on Wednesday for Bangkok. I'm speaking at the World Small Animal Veterinary Association. I've never been there, so uh, hopefully we'll have uh, something to report to you there as well when I get back. And, uh, of course, we're here at Pet Life Radio's show, Ask the Vets, with the help of our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products and Kong Toys. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you live because we're live and I'm here live for you. So a couple of ways to get a hold of me. Number one, pick up the phone, 877-385-8882. It's free. It doesn't cost you a dime. 877-385-8882. Another way to get me for free is if you're listening to us live here on iHeartRadio's Pet Life Radio station online. All you have to do is join in on the conversation. You uh, come into PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Ask the Vets tab. It'll bring you to our page, live call-in radio show, and there's a spot right there, and you, all you have to do is click here to join the conversation and start typing away. Lastly, you can send me an email to drjeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at PetLifeRadio.com. And I will see a box live with your question, and we can talk about – it doesn't have to be a question. It could be a comment. It could be anything. You know, it's just whatever we can do to talk about would be great. Uh, as a matter of fact, I still have not finished my uh, series on respiratory conditions. I still really want to get to it. I think we'll try the second part of the show. But I do want to talk about a case that I had this week that is – it just reminds me that even though to me it's so much common sense – to anybody in the business, anybody who's had pets before, anyone who's had this happen to their dog, it becomes now common sense. But apparently, by the fact that I'm still seeing it, we're still seeing it in practice, you know, as, as I often joke, common sense isn't really common because if it were, more people would have it. So this is something where we have to reiterate again and again and again the importance of the following. This magnificent, oh, maybe 10-month-old Weimaraner puppy was in. ADR. ADR, I've used the term before. It's just kind of an acronym for ain't doing right. You know, kind of going back to the old days of the country doc and, uh, gee, so uh, how's, how's he doing? Uh, just he ain't doing right. So uh, we call it ADR. Pretty universal in the veterinary world. So he vomited once and not since, but just was very sluggish, very depressed, and did not want to eat, refused to eat. So we took some x-rays, took some blood. The bloods came back okay. The x-rays did not show. This is what's so unusual and interesting, which is why it's so important. When there's an obstruction, when there is something blocking the gastric outflow or sets up shop somewhere within the intestine itself and blocks, we get a pattern, a gas pattern called an obstructive pattern. So even though if the object or that which is causing the obstruction does not show up on x-ray, meaning it is radiolucent, it's clear on an x-ray, 
we can use the pattern to determine whether or not there's a high suggestibility that we have a block, we have an obstruction. This dog did not. So we give it some fluids, wait a day, and uh, next morning we take our x-rays and the pattern, nothing really has changed. But what struck us most importantly was the contents in the stomach were still in the stomach. But we couldn't feel anything, feeling really weak, depressed, so we do what's called a barium study. Our ultrasound did not show anything, and, and there's a good reason for it. And we um, do a barium study. And we're questioning the owner. Is she the kind of dog that would eat, like, something? And he says, no, no, she's fantastic. Do you, you ever see her chewing on anything? Is anybody missing anything? Because you know, now we're suspicious that maybe there's something going on here. And, um, and I'm thinking along the lines of, like, underwear or, or a sock or something. And he says, well, you know, the only thing she does is she likes to chew on some carpeting. Really? What do you mean chew on carpeting? And it's apparently a little more questioning. And it struck us that we think that this dog had gotten into something way more than the owner expected and is causing the problem. So we resort to the barium study. Barium studies where we give a dye and we put the dye down in the mouth or in the stomach. Sometimes we have to feed it through a stomach tube. It tastes good. So usually they'll drink it. And then we follow along the dye through the intestinal tract to find out, is it going to a point and stopping? Is it going at all? Is it uh, going very quickly? What's going on with this dye? So we take our series, and interestingly, stuff is getting through, but slowly, and it's still staying in the stomach way longer than it should. And we are convinced at this point that this dog is obstructed. It's obstructed with something that is radiolucent. It is obstructed that is causing a partial obstruction because some of the dye did go through. But the fact that most of it was still in the stomach and stayed in the stomach for way longer than it was supposed to, it required what we call an an exploratory, where we go in surgically and we go ahead and look and remove what we can. So going in surgically, as suspected, much of that which was in the stomach was this fabric, this stuff. And interestingly, because of how it was congealing and how what it formed like in the stomach, it looked like ingesta. It looked like food stuff, which is why that was the puzzle when we first and that's why nothing really showed up unusual, because you really couldn't tell on ultrasound or x-ray, was it food? Was it not food? Was it what was it? But unfortunately, and this is the part that is so serious. This is why, for example, we are so careful when we know our cats or we have cats that like to chew on string. That's why you need to be so careful with the classic yarn. Or when you throw away a fairly substantial piece of dental floss in the garbage. Because these things can cause what we call a string foreign body. And that's where part of the beginning of the string stays in the stomach. The rest is getting through into the duodenum, into the small intestine. And being felt by the musculature of the small intestine, it stimulates the peristaltic waves. Those are the normal muscular contraction waves that propel anything from inside the gastrointestinal tract to the back part. In other words, to get it out from stomach to small intestine to the ileocecal junction to the large intestine to colon and ultimately out. And that still works. So here it is when you can't propel that long thickened string-like substance forward because it's locked and part of it is stuck in the stomach, what happens? If you can imagine, picture a curtain on a curtain rod where it starts to placate. It starts because it the, the object can't move through the GI tract. The GI tract starts to 
accordion onto the substance that's inside that's causing the obstruction. In the process, it's almost like piano wire. They call it jiggly wire that is sawing back and forth as the intestine is doing its thing and trying to push and push and push and pull this thing through. Instead, it is tearing the GI tract. And that is a very, very serious complication of a foreign body. It's almost as if when you have something that is much larger blocking the GI tract, it is trying to contract around it. And so what happens, it gets so tight. Picture a snake that is going to, like a constrictor, that is going to wrap itself around its prey. And what happens? The prey can't breathe. The snake is so tight around the chest. So what happens here is the muscular contractions become so tight, they cut off their own blood supply. So now, now what happens is the tissue starts to die, it starts to break open, and now we have what we call a peritonitis. So anytime there is leakage from the gastrointestinal tract, into the abdominal cavity. Obviously, there, is a, there are thousands of bacteria within the intestinal tract. The inside of the abdominal cavity should be sterile. And we end up with a major, major infection. And that's one of the reasons why this dog was so, so depressed and lethargic, even though it was no longer vomiting, even though it didn't really have a fever, which was kind of puzzling. And it was because the intestine had started to leak. So after removing this clump of fabric, whatever the heck it was, we then had to do what's called an intestinal anastomosis. That's where we have to cut away the damaged, torn portion that is, doesn't have a good blood supply, is no longer functioning well. We have to remove it and then sew the two free, clean, clear edges together. What was a complicating factor in this case is there is a very, very important structure, important in many ways because it has a multi-functions. It functions as an endocrine gland. It functions as an exocrine gland. As an endocrine gland, it regulates our insulin as a exocrine gland. It helps with digestion. It's called the pancreas. And the part of the intestine that was destroyed trying to propel this foreign body through involved some of the pancreas. So it made it very challenging to try to preserve as much of the pancreas or all the pancreas, but most importantly, the blood supply to the pancreas and the pancreatic ducts without compromising that blood supply, but we had to tie off blood supply to and remove that damaged portion of the intestine. So the take-home lesson here as we're about to break is don't assume that anything is sacred in your home, if you have a puppy or a kitten, they will look for and chew on anything. They will chew on Murphy's Law. They will choose often the most expensive item that they can find. They will chew the most damaging item that they can find. And it's so critical. When those of us that have had babies or those of you that have babies, what do you do to your house? You baby-proof your house. You put the plug sockets in. You put the little latches on the drawers and the cabinets. You anticipate that my kid is going to get where it's not supposed to. You're going to block the stairs. You're going to put the alarm on the door, the outside door, if you have a swimming pool. You're going to put a fence around the pool. All these things you do because you anticipate that problem and you want to protect your child. No different for your dogs and your cats. You need to anticipate. You need to look around. You need to say to yourself, what is it even possible for him or her to get a hold of? And if it is, just remove it cover it, set up a barricade, something, because this was the most expensive piece of carpeting 
And I don't mean just what it cost the owner to buy. I mean what it cost him to save the dog's life. So uh, and sometimes it'll get a hold of something very inexpensive. And I often say, for example, a tennis ball. And I'll say, oh, my God, that was the most expensive tennis ball you're ever going to buy. Anyway, stay tuned. We'll be back for a second. If you have any comments or if you've been through this, I would love to hear about what crazy, crazy things your dog or cat have gotten into. 877-385-8882. You're live here with Dr. Jeff. We'll be back in a minute. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food, and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. Tired of wasting money on giant boxes of litter that don't work and don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. So even a small bag lasts one cat 30 days. Outstanding odor control, quick clumping, lightweight. It's even flushable. World's best cat litter. Everything else is just litter. Find it near you at www.itsnotjustlitter.com. That's www.itsnotjustlitter.com. Hi, Jill. I see you and Bella are enjoying this lovely day as well. It's a perfect day for a walk. Isn't that right, Bella? And what a colorful ID tag you have, Bella. It certainly puts my Rusty's boring engraved tag to shame. Isn't it great? It's a dog tag art tag. Dog tag art? Yeah. Dog tag art makes the world's coolest pet ID tags. Pick from hundreds of cute designs or upload your photos or artwork to create a unique tag of your own. They even give you four lines of text on the back of the tag for important contact information. I love it. But do they hold up? We have to replace Rusty's metal tags so often because the information wears away. Dog tag art tags are some of the highest quality pet tags out there. They're made with super durable stainless steel. Your information is always legible and the tags are guaranteed for life. Well, I'm sold. Where can I get my dog tag art tag for Rusty? Dogtagart.com Sounds great. We can't wait to get online and get a tag of our own. Dogtagart.com. We keep best friends together. Use the coupon code RADIO for a 25% discount off any tag. Active for Pets is a new wellness platform and app that helps pet parents save time and money on their vet bills. Stop paying for unnecessary vet treatments. Consult with a vet online. Get unlimited access to your pet's entire health history from any computer or smartphone with the Active for Pets app. Vaccinations, medications, test results, and more. Active for Pets gives you access to a team of expert vets for non-emergency care. Make an appointment before, during, or after office hours. Skip the waiting room and get a secure online vet consult on your schedule. Taking care of your pets is as easy as it gets with Active for Pets. Ready to try Active for Pets? Listeners get 40% off a one-year membership. To get this great offer, use promo code PETLIFE on the sign-up page of active4pets.com. That's A-C-T-I-V, the number 4, P-E-T-S dot com. Or call 888-512-2848. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. So we're back live. During the break, I noticed that AJ joined the conversation. AJ, if you're out there, rejoin us on the conversation. I'm here. I'm looking at the screen. So if you have a question, you have a comment, go for it. So uh, anyway, we were talking about our Lyme runner patient. Great thrilled that she's doing well. You got to watch out for everything, anything possible that your pet can eat because they will. You know, as I said, it is Murphy's Law. I, you know, I go through the years of all my dogs and think of the craziest things they, they've eaten and you know, things that you, you wouldn't even think. What would be so appetizing about that? I mean, we're talking, uh, there was a series that one of the veterinary publications put out about a year ago, and it was an x-ray competition of the craziest things that veterinarians have pulled out of stomachs. And we're talking crazy. I once pulled a straight needle, you know, like a sewing needle, but a long one out of his stomach. I have a picture of a dog ate, and I'm telling you, it's so funny. You can see them clear as day, two AA batteries. Now, why would a dog be eating AA battery? Well, any battery. Forget the AA. <laughs> but, but, but any battery. I mean, you know, I can understand dogs wanting to eat things that taste good. You know, jumping on the table, getting people food. One of my Labrador, bless him, he's 14, and I literally need. Now, th- this guy can no longer jump on the bed. He can get his front feet up, and then we have to, have to get out and, and pick him up. He still can get up and downstairs. I mean, I, I shouldn't complain. For 14, he's doing amazingly well. But man, if he has access to the kitchen, he's learned how to open drawers. And we have to have baby little those, those stoppers, not because of baby. It's because of the dog. And he is impossible. And if we forget to you know, put change the position, or if I don't barricade the door, he gets in and he knows where everything is, and he is crazy. So, but I get it because the stuff he goes after is good stuff. It's food. It's the cookies. It's a you know the stuff that I want to eat. I'm, sometimes I'm happy he's eating instead of me, but that I can get. But things like metallic springs and and a blade from a knife and batteries and the craziest things they put into their mouths and why this Weimaraner was just going after carpet carpet fiber. I have no idea. One of my employees has a friend who's Doberman three times, not once, not twice, three times. We've had to go in after into this dog's intestine to pull out a sock, a large athletic sock. Now, there are two wackos here. Number one is the dog. But how many times does an owner, having spent a few thousand dollars on surgery hospitalization to get a sock out of a dog's intestine and do it not only again, once to let him happen the opportunity to do it again, but actually twice? So I don't know who's nuttier. Is it the owner who clearly has not learned his lesson or the dog who the attraction of going after a sock, I don't know, but they do it. It's crazy. Anyway, speaking of things getting where they don't belong, uh, let's get quickly back to our series. We were talking about sneezing. What causes some of the respiratory things? And we've been through you know, a lot of the defects, the ciliary defects. We had talked about the elongated soft palate, the stenotic nares. And one of the things I wanted to mention, there are a few things that we see more frequently this time of year, interestingly, and that is the dreaded foxtail. Now, don't know if you know what foxtails are. They are plant-ons. They kind of look like a fox's tail, the way they're shaped. But what's so unique about the foxtail is it really can only migrate one way. 
In fact, I do this little trick in my office where I'll take a foxtail and put it under my sleeve with the foxtail pointing upward and yet only half under my sleeve. And I brush down. I don't know if you can see that. And as I'm brushing down, instead of brushing the thing away, with every brush downward, it's traveling upward. Why? Because there are these little microbarbs face the opposite way. So they spring. So when you push down and then let go, they spring up. And I mean, I've literally you know, done this demo with a client and have the foxtail just you know, partly under my sleeve, brush it away, and I'll find the foxtail up here somewhere. So they go, oh my God, so that's what's happening in a dog. Oftentimes they'll penetrate. One of the areas they like to penetrate are between the digits, between the toes. And the dog obviously wants to get it out. So what does it do? It licks to try to lick it out. But with every lick downward, the foxtail is moving upward. We found foxtails in the strangest places. They can travel several inches away from the point of entry. And one of those places is the nose. So we see them up the behind. We see them interdigitally between the digits. We see them in the ears, very commonly in the ears. We've seen them actually penetrate the eardrum and go into the middle ear. They are such a nuisance. And you got to be very careful. You should, if you have, live in an area, you have a dog that's got that kind of hair that attracts them, you should check your dog every single day after every single walk. But when they go up the nose, you have a dog that is violently sneezing, not just a little sneeze. We're talking violent sneezing. A dog that oftentimes will get a bloody nose, they will sometimes paw at their side of the nose, the side of the face that has the foxtail, or literally rub their nose against a wall or against the carpet, and they're just sneezing, and it usually looks more one-sided. Often you see a discharge, sometimes you'll see blood. That is a strong indication of a foxtail or some type of foreign body up the nose. So they're sneezing, and they're sneezing. And when the sneezing is usually unilateral, one-sided, and violent, and sometimes with blood, and comes on suddenly. We're not talking a dog, ah, start a little bit of sneezing, and then the next day is a little more. Then maybe that's a respiratory infection. We're talking on a sudden, acute onset of violent sneezing, pawing at the nose, sometimes bleeding. You got to think foxtail. And uh, also, there are some nasal polyps. There are other things that will grow in the nose, can be unilateral, that will cause sneezing. And oftentimes, these things are, you know, when we are going into scope to look for a foreign body up the nose, that's when we might find a foxtail or a polyp. Also, other uh, forms of respiratory diseases, believe it or not, will come from heart. So you can have a dog that does not have any problem with the nose or even the lungs as a primary problem. But if they develop something called congestive heart failure, that's where the left side of the heart starts to fail. And where does the blood come from that is being pumped through the left side of the heart? It just came from the lungs. It just got aerated. It just picked up its oxygen. So now it comes from the right side of the body, right? Pumped, goes into the lungs. And then from the lungs, the left heart actually starts pumping that blood to the rest of the body. Ah, so what happens? Think about it. What happens when the left side of the pump, if you will, stops working well? So the blood is coming from the right side, goes through the lungs, and now it's being pumped through the left side, out into the body, through the aorta. And so what happens is that there's a backup because not all the blood that just came from the heart, the left, from the lung field, from the right side, since the pump on the left isn't working well, there's a backup. So where is that backup felt? Well, if it's a left side heart failure, it's being felt in the lungs in the sense that there is now back pressure and fluid blood that was just in the lungs and supposed to be pumped out, it's going to stay in those microvasculature 
of the lung field, and it's going to start a backup. It's going to start becoming congested. It's going to start becoming wet, and that's why we call it congestive heart failure. And these animals are going to have a tough time breathing because the lungs are getting moist. There's too much fluid going through. There's a backup. It's not being circulated properly because the left side of the heart is no longer working well. So when we have the more common mitral valve disease causing a murmur and left heart failure, where we're going to see it over time, the big problem, the fluid buildup is going to be in the lungs. And that's causing a big respiratory problem where in fact had nothing to do with the actual lung field itself. The lungs are working fine, but they're being destroyed and compromised because of the bad heart. So that will uh, take us through a lot of the common respiratory infections that we see. And, uh, oh, one other. There is something that we see a lot. And, you know, it's interesting because it is something that freaks our pet owners out, but it's not dangerous at all. It's called reverse sneezing. I'm a very, very good reverse sneezer. So the way it works is this. You'll see like a, <laughs> and the dog will extend its neck out and it's like it's sucking in this air and it freaks people out because they think the dog can't breathe. They think the dog is starting to suffocate and it's not that at all. It is just a reverse sneeze. Instead of going, and then the snort out, it's the snort in and the easy breathe out. So it's, and they, as you said, they extend their necks. They look like they're in major distress, but they're not. And uh, one of the things that I've tried, uh, you can try to calm them down, pat them on the back, tell them it's okay. What I've tried to do, I know it's kind of weird, but so am I, is you give them a really firm blow right up the nose. And that could reverse the reverse sneeze and get it back to normal. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. The time has come to say goodbye. I am leaving Wednesday for Bangkok for the World Small Animal Veterinary Association. Once again, I want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products, Kong Veterinary Products. And if you have any questions, comments, please send them to me at drjeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. Great uh, to have you join me, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.